0: And welcome to Star Talk All-Stars. I am your All-Star host, Emily Rice. And with me in the studio today is comedic co-host Chuck Nice. That's
1: right.
0: Hello, uh, nice oh. to be back.
1: It's nice to be with you always. We're doing, We're- I guess, uh, a, a, this is what we call a grab bag of Cosmic Queries. We got
0: to think of a better it's we we need a we well, need a more sciency name for that. Since
1: you're here yeah, uh, and it. you're an astrophysicist maybe it'll be a stellar What's stew.
0: A, yeah, conglomerate. That sounds pretty corporate. There's got to be a there's a I'm sure there's a <laughs> chemistry word for like a mix of molecular mix of cosmic queries. You just
1: said it the like molecular that. mix. That's cool. Well, I like it. Yeah. But yeah, the molecular mix. All right. All right, here we go. Um, why don't we jump right into it? And uh here's our uh here's our first question which I just I just love. Uh this is uh Chris Haldwarn, who says, uh Emily, what did you learn today?
0: What a great question. Isn't a great question. I want to remember that to like ask my kid every day when he comes home from school. Yeah. What a fun thing! I I I actually did ask my son that. Yeah.
1: So I said, "What did you learn today?" He was like, "To avoid you."
0: Oh. (laughs) How to how to avoid answering questions from my parents? (laughs)
1: Exactly. What
0: did I learn today? Hmm. Usually, there's something. I love I love posting like TILs on Twitter, especially when they're really fun. One of the things I learned recently is that my membership application for the International Astronomical Union was approved. (laughs) Oh. So now I'm kind of official official. Yeah, that, right. so the the International so now- Astronomical Union is this big um, body, the professional organization of astronomers planet wide, um, who are famous for naming the constellations, defining the borders of the constellations, and uh, demoting Pluto several years ago. So very cool. Yeah, it's like I got my membership card for them. They're very popular now. So I now think. that
1: you're a union member, do you uh, do you guys will you ever go on strike?
0: I will never cross that picket line. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't think we'll ever go on strike because we love our jobs too much. Very there cool. Was a, there was also there was a TIL and like a humble brag. Nice.
1: Very cool. All right, Uh, why don't we go to uh, Manasa. Okay, Manasa, I got that part right. Okay, (laughs) I'm gonna gonna leave the rest of it alone. Uh, How can we significantly improve on having more scientists and technologists to take part in politics and be able to influence our country's future? Yeah. Most scientists I see try not to be political. I know.
0: And I think that's kind of bad. Like, I don't think that scientists should be apolitical because I think there are like you know clear things that are better for science and for the country and we should advocate like there's this whole kind of a false dichotomy or false equivalency between two different sides whenever there's a huge amount of, ex- of evidence for example that vaccines save lives and so i even i took my kid to get his shots yesterday and i was like you know it's just gonna it's gonna hurt for a little bit but it's gonna keep you safe if it, if it doesn't keep you safe it's gonna keep other kids safe and so this is very very important and so and I don't, don't worry
1: about the fact that the government just uh injected a chip in <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. No, I'm joking. The,
0: the, yeah, there, there's. It's kind of frightening how many people still believe these things despite you know all of the evidence being debunked and so much evidence to the contrary. But the big—that's
1: so, I know uh, I'm gay because uh, I, there's fluoride in the water.
0: Oh yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs>
1: that was a real thing, by the way. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That was an actual too word. much
0: fluoride is very bad but we don't have too much fluoride in the water. We right. have a nice amount, a healthy amount of fluoride in the water. Goodness, there's we could go on forever yeah. about these things. So but so, so I think scientists should be political, but I also think that uh, on the other hand, actually I think relative to the population, scientists are actually overrepresented in Congress. <laughs> Because there's like two in there oh. and then there's not really a lot of, you know, there's more, there's more medical doctors, there's more engineers. And a lot um, of lawyers. Yeah. But I but that's, that's the thing is that on one hand, I think that all of the interests should be represented, but that's what lobbyists are for and and kind of policymakers and so there is a there's a lot of science policy people that are not necessarily the lawmakers because the lawmakers need to know the nitty gritty of how to write a bill how to get it passed how to reach across the aisle you know a lot of those things and unless you're a scientist who also knows how to do that or is willing to learn that you know you know stay in your lane illiterate. right that's how there's a lot of scientists running for for public office right now, which is great. And I do think that the scientists, you know, have demonstrated that they can learn complex things and how to work in teams and how to learn new things and and how to solve complex problems. And so I think that scientists, you know, could be very successful lawmakers and politicians, but I really hope that they're doing their homework and not coming in like, I'm the scientist, I'm the expert. Let me solve all of these things. We really have to do our homework. That job's already been taken. I know, right? (laughs) Hopefully it'll be open again soon.
1: There you go. All right, very cool. Uh, Let's go to Theodore Smith, who is at Badass Anatomist. (laughs) It's a pretty cool name. I like it. On Twitter, he says, uh, with respect to space-time, how would you explain space-time to a Mm non-scientist, an anatomist who is generally bad, but fascinated by
0: physics yeah the
1: space time.
0: what's an anatomist do that's it sounds like body parts to that me that is yeah like that's still physics i don't know there's a little bit of physics there like every every body part takes up a certain amount of space and it has a certain mass yeah, and it works together in certain ways i think people sell, them, sell themselves short with physics sometimes. But space-time, I think even if somebody tells you that they understand space-time, they're lying to you. Not really. But oh, like cool. that's a famous it's a famous quote about quantum mechanics, I think. That somebody said, if you know, there's three people in the world that understand quantum mechanics. And so if anybody else says that they do, they're lying to you. But but space-time is part, part of uh, general relativity. Right. And it's it's complex. It's it's the idea is that the space and time exist equivalently in four dimensions. Okay. And we can't generally Visualize four dimensions. Sometimes we actually have a hard time visualizing three dimensions. Uh, absolutely, you know your depth perception and how far away that thing is, and you know spatial reasoning and things like that is not super easy. And so generally, what we do is we cheat. You can do the math in four dimensions because that's just adding more numbers or more, um, more terms in the equation or more exponents or higher order exponents, but in terms of the visualizing and the thinking about it i think the vast majority of even the scientists will collapse it into two or even three dimensions at the most and say okay we're we're talking about one dimension in space and one dimension in time so that i can draw it on my two-dimensional paper mm-hmm. and we don't actually think about four dimensions altogether At the very most, and I think one of the best analogies for the curvature of space-time caused by mass, which is fundamentally general relativity, is to imagine a two-dimensional rubber sheet, Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: that is the three dimensions of space-time, three dimensions of space in space-time, but flattened into two dimensions. And so this curvature is like into another dimension a little bit, but it's like a dimension that we don't have. So it's a little bit weird, like that. Uh, but it affects I'm, how things travel through time as well as space.
1: I'm going to go out on, on a limb and say that I understand everything you just said perfectly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a good teacher I am! <laughs> you think that might be my job or something like that?
1: No, but that's um, that's it's very hard to conceptualize. Yeah, because
0: and it's different for everybody too. Right. I think di- people and the think rubber about sheet is ways.
1: when you think about the rubber sheet, that is how. It is possible that you might get faster than light travel, but nothing still travels faster than light. Right? Um
0: it tells us how the the path between two the shortest path between two points might be a curve instead of a straight line. Right. In curved space-time. So with that rubber sheet, I didn't actually finish the analogy. With the rubber sheet, you think about putting different weights on that rubber sheet and the more massive the weight the more the sheet is going to curve and then you roll like another ball around uh, along that sheet and you see how that ball moves and so that ball could represent a planet or it could represent a photon because both planets so both massive objects and massless photons are their motion is affected by the curvature of space time that's wow. kind of the magic of it. Yeah. And I'm talking about it like it's kind of this esoteric thing, but it's actually a, a relatively common like science demonstration that people do. Right. They'll take something big like a trash can or a, a big a big hoop and stretch a nice stretchy fabric across it and then and then do this demonstration with weights. And so there's videos on YouTube that you can look at, right. or you know, maybe if you get lucky at a science day at your at a museum or at a university, you can see this in action. And it's really a nice demonstration of the curvature of space-time.
1: Cool. All right, yeah. there you go. Uh, way to go, Theodore? Uh, let's go to Jeff uh, who, from Instagram, who says, "If you had, if you had to cast a biopic about the greatest scientists of all time, who would you pick?" And that's Jeff Clark from Salem, Virginia. Uh, and, and he says, "Scientists." So that's plural. Plural. Or plural. Yeah. Mm. It, so he said, "Greatest scientists."
0: Okay, I got so, him. I got him.
1: Yeah. So Easy. I I will say, do you have a top five?
0: I'm well. I definitely or have I a top one. T- okay. Top one, Marie Curie. Marie Curie. Her life has not been done uh, adequate service yet in the entertainment storytelling industry. By far, there is one movie that goes. But I actually said this to Neil Tyson once, our benevolent overhost, and he said, "There's a movie about Marie Curie already." And I looked it up on IMDb, and it was from the 1930s. And it ended when pre when her, her husband, Pierre Curie, was hit by a streetcar and killed. Streetcar. Horse so and carriage, she, maybe. So
1: the death of her husband, she ceased ended, to exist. <laughs> ended
0: the movie. She won her second Nobel Prize years after that. Right. Um, her daughter also became a scientist. She had two daughters. They had two daughters together. One became a scientist and one became a writer, I believe. Um, and so I and and her life is also fascinating. And I think Irene, the daughter that became a scientist, actually wrote the definitive biography of her mother cool. of Marie Curie. And she is just such a fascinating the personality, the travel. So the the emigration from Poland to France, and then. Um, you know, discovering the radioactivity of these materials, and then needing to travel to raise money to buy more radium to do her experiments—that she was actually taken on like a a fundraising publicity tour of the United States. Wow. Hated every second so of it.
1: She also invented Kickstarter.
0: <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> or she was at least <laughs> she was used to invent Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, she, uh, apparently because she was a very like introverted personality, and so right. she did not like the the publicity tour at all, but you know she did it. She did it for science. Cool. Um Yeah, she. I. I. I think. I don't know who I would cast to play her. That's harder.
1: That that is because you have to. You have to either have somebody who can bring the character or somebody who looks like the person. Yeah, it's one or the other.
0: and we do have a nice. You know, I think people would recognize Mary Curie. Yeah. Although there's a famous picture of uh marie curie that's not her it's it's a, like an actress playing her in a play that sometimes that gets misrepresented as marie curie right. i want to say somebody like i feel like rachel weiss okay could, that's a good one could be a good like a little bit serious i was um, gonna go
1: with will smith because he's <laughs> he's my pick he can, for he, he can
0: pretty do pretty he, much yeah, anything he, exactly. can, he can be irene <laughs> yeah that yeah
1: all right that's a very cool question uh yeah. jeff from let's Sam, make that movie yeah
0: call me have That's your people cool. call my people. There you go. Uh,
1: Dave Kess from Facebook wants to know this. Uh, why are all the planets orbiting <gasps> on nearly the same plane around the sun? Also, why is the Milky Way shaped like a flat disk? Yep. And some galaxies are shaped more like eggs.
0: The last one is harder, but the f- answer to the first two is easy. The answer is pizza.
1: Pizza. Pizza. There you go. <laughs> Thank you.
0: That's all. Let's take the next one. Uh-huh. No. The pizza, if you think about how pizza dough right. is is flattened out into a pizza, you throw it in the air, you take the ball, and you spin it. Right. You stretch the ball a little bit, but then they spin it. Right. And as you spin it, it gets wider and wider and wider and flatter and flatter and flatter. And, flatter. and it's because when you spin So it's rotation that does it. Yeah. This. It's basically the rotation. The short answer is really rotation. When you spin something- you kind of give it a direction. Right. There's the axis of rotation, and then there's the axis perpendicular to the rotation. And it turns out that the forces um, are along are, are, are the axis of rotation or perpendicular to it, and the, the ones perpendicular to it help stretch out and flatten the material.
1: Very cool. So then let me ask you this. Why is Pluto's orbit so different ah, than yeah. every other um, I, I, should I say planet? I know because it's, uh, it's not a planet. Not a planet. I don't know what to call it. You know. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, it's it's a a very unique orbit.
0: Yes. Well, unique in that there's thousands of other objects with similarly different orbits and, from the planet. Well, of yeah. course, yes. And so the answer goes into the the end of that question about the egg shaped galaxies is that it's rotation until it's not rotation, <laughs> basically for these systems like for the. The, for spherical clusters of stars that are called globular clusters, for spherical or elliptical galaxies, it's where there there isn't that general overall rotation to flatten out and, and kind of systemize the orbits. Oh. And so the orbits kind of stay randomized like bees around a beehive. Um, and so because Pluto is just one object in this belt of lots of small objects, right. um, it it wasn't Kind of the the orbits kind of weren't compressed as much as the the planets in a line okay. in that in that plane. There are differences like there you know there's more complicated dynamical answers to that question. But in general, I think because the objects are small um, and because there's a lot of them, there's more dynamical interactions that that counteracted that overall rotation that would flatten things.
1: Cool. All right. Nice question. Sound sciencey enough. I liked yeah, it.
0: Yeah, not
1: bad. I liked it a lot. <laughs> All right. Um, <clears throat> why don't we go to something a little more personal? From, oh boy. From yes, this is Scott, and he says, "Please give me your thoughts on our country's education system, particularly as it pertains to the scientific ignorance of the average U.S. citizen." Aww. Ah, Scott, and way to get in there. I, nothing yeah. like a, nothing like a patriotic question. <laughs> However, I, yeah. he's right. We're forty seventh in math and yeah. we're we're forty seventh in science and thirty something in math worldwide. Yeah. You but know, what metric
0: that is that? Is that based on a test I, or something I, like I, that? I, you know? know what?
1: Here I I I, I, I gotta be to honest. I I read it in The Economist like five <laughs> years ago, and so it had to be true. Because yeah, it was
0: in The Economist. <laughs> exactly. Right.
1: It's like, come on. Everything in The Economist is true. Yeah, so, but, and it makes
0: you sound smart. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, but but he, he's got a good point, though. Yeah. We certainly don't seem to be uh, as science literate as other countries as a mass you know what i mean yeah uh from the education system when i say uh, in mass i don't mean as we definitely if you look at these big
0: international competitions the math olympiads and the science olympiads that go international yeah we don't do as well as we could and 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 it's all about finland yes it's all
1: about the education system it's not about it's not about the population or the per capita science literacy of the population yeah it's about like why, why do these people in these communities uh, put such, so much more emphasis on science?
0: Yeah. I, th- I think we could do better as an education system. I'm, I, I don't know. I wish I I wish I knew. I want to know because my kid will start school pretty soon. Um, I, th- I think it's, it's partially – I think it's the type of thing where once the education system is more true to how we want people to develop as people, that will increase science as well. Be- because I think, it, like I think, we don't need to necessarily only focus on science. Because we want people to be exposed to all different fields of of research, of inquiry, of exploration, of creation. Um, we we want people to be supported, and we want people to be safe. Man, that's yeah. Okay, I already I went there, and now I can't go back. We want people to be safe in schools. Yeah, I don't care what we learn about science until until I don't have to worry about my kid getting shot in a school.
1: Gosh, and maybe science will give us the answer.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe science will give us the answer. We will be we gotta take a quick break. Okay. And we will be back after this break to answer some more cosmic queries. I'm Emily Rice here with Chuck Nice on Star Talk All-Stars. We are back on Star Talk All-Stars. I am Emily Rice, your All-Stars co-host, and with me is Chuck Nice That's in the right. studio. That's right. And we got some more cosmic queries coming up.
1: We certainly do. Let's just jump right back into the pea soup with Ethan, cool guy Smith, who said That's an interesting name. It is. I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, listen, if 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 you won't uh, blow your own whistle, who will? Okay? Why does it seem that with every new generation, there is a new level of both scientific acceptance mm. and scientific ignorance. Kind of picking up from the last question, yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I, that's a, that. There does seem to be like periods of enlightenment throughout history. I'm talking about. Yeah. So there's periods of enlightenment, and then there's periods of just. Uh, Regression. Yeah. It's not even stagnation, it's regression. It's almost like right now we're in a period of regression. When you look at all the settled science that is still uh, being Questioned falsely debated, by, yeah, falsely yeah. debated. I mean, you yeah. know, we're in a period of regression.
0: Luckily, it also, I think, it's geographically dependent. Ooh. A lot of these things, yeah, because there, you know, there was the Dark Ages in Europe, but a lot of stuff was maintained by monks in Ireland. There was still, you know, progress happening in China and India, um, in the Middle East, and, and places that you know, and so the the it's it's definitely geographically varied at the mm-hmm. very least. Yeah. Um. And 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 maybe it's just in comparison. Maybe it's that given the amount of scientific progress that we can like see and feel and compare to, to very recent times. Maybe it feels like the ignorance is that much worse because of it. Oh, that's you a good know, point. Because there's all these denialists and and things like that. You know, at least they know about it. They can they can, you know, they can read and write. Right, they can they can have a computer in their pocket. You know, they're still taking advantage of the scientific progress, even if they're actively, um, you know, talking against it. They're still using it, so it's That's still a good, lot of progress. Uh, it's a good point. It feels like at right. I
1: mean, listen, we are living in the most technologically and scientifically advanced time in human history
0: that yeah. we know of. Yeah, yeah. I we, think that was a science that I think people just like had to make sure that there wasn't potential for an, a previous civilization. To have become technically technologically advanced, but for us to not find out about it somehow. For us to not know about it.
1: What an interesting concept. I know, right? Are you writing a sci-fi book?
0: Yeah, maybe. Maybe based <laughs> on that, somebody should write a
1: sci-fi book. That's pretty cool. All right. Uh my man Ethan Bottoms. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. I'm uh, sure he's heard them all. I'd I've no.
0: heard them all with Rice even. You'd think Rice would be relatively. <laughs> so he says,
1: what's your favorite sci-fi technology? And what mm. would you see as its real life equivalent? That's a great question. Like when you look yeah. at all the sci-fi tech that, you know, what, uh, it, it, there there's plenty that has actually come true.
0: Yeah, Video phones. I think that might be my favorite. I like any time that I'm talking to somebody on Facetime or something like that. I'm just like, this is amazing. We live in the future. I want to say FTL, faster than light travel. Wow, that's very important in a lot of sci-fi. That's true. I mean, yeah, I guess there is an equivalent. I mean, because we can go in a big metal tube and and go relatively fast and fly across the country or around the world. You know, or even the communications that we can now communicate. You know, but that's even that's. At light speed mostly right. satellite communications and things um, but faster than light travel is a very important part of science fiction if you want to go anywhere interesting <laughs> exactly right <laughs> anywhere outside of the solar system anywhere outside of you know neighboring star systems to a distant galaxy to other parts of our galaxy you definitely need faster than light travel and i think that's the biggest impediment to the, the a lot of the future that we imagine for ourselves
1: very cool very cool that and and, and wormholes.
0: Do, yeah. do. Oh, wormholes is a way of getting faster than light travel. Exactly, yeah. I would yeah. lump wormholes in with that. Yeah. Very
1: cool. Very cool. All right. Uh, what a good choice. Mm, yeah. Thank you. Off the cuff. Yeah. I totally uh, wasn't reading that over yeah. your shoulders. <laughs> Still just yeah. two seconds to prepare. Exactly. No, that's a that's a damn good choice. Uh, <laughs> let's go with Adam Bomb baby. Uh, oh, a-
0: oh yeah, A-T-O-M. Adam Bomb I get baby.
1: It. Uh, he says uh, if you could show one thing, be it a photograph, a painting, a piece of music, a book, a movie, or something completely different to an intelligent species somewhere out, of, uh, out in the oh, universe, no. what would it be and why? And I would assume that he would mean to represent humankind. So Carl Sagan made that yeah, plaque.
0: There's the those the Voyager. It's not even. It's just that there's the even Pioneer had a plaque. I always forget right. about this. Pioneer had a plaque, but Carl Sagan and Andrew Ian made the record, right. the golden record, and the so that encoded record. recorded, recorded all of these sounds. Um, and a I don't know. I wonder why they picked sounds instead of. Oh, although I think there were images also encoded on the record.
1: Yeah. So it
0: was a disc like a CD, even though there weren't. Discs like a CD at the time. Right. It was a record, but images, I believe, were also encoded on the record. Um, I know what mine would be. What? It would be The Simpsons. Wow. It would straight up be The Simpsons. There is so much human culture. Elite, you know, western western civilization culture, you know, American culture for the most part, but I'm going to pick it cuz I'm an American and I grew up with the Simpsons, a lot of the Simpsons.
1: So, uh, the entire catalog just Yeah, maybe sprung... up to season 9. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> that's all I can say to that.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, that's. I still
0: that. watch it. It's still got some. It's still got its, its, it's moments. It's, it's got. A, it's got a little. If you bit. had to limit me to the to yeah. the data bandwidth. You know, I could cut it off in the single digits, probably. It's a little <laughs> gas
1: left in that tank, though. The Simpsons—they're uh, they do yeah. a great job. A little gas still left in that tank. All right, here we go. Uh MacDougall hmm. <sighs> Brandon. <laughs> MacDougall Brandon. McDougal Brandon wants to know this. What can artists do to help advance the public's appreciation for science? As a poet, a filmmaker, and a science lover, I'm always looking for ways to fuse the arts and the sciences.
0: Beautiful. Keep doing it. One of my favorite things to do is to work with artists and find artists. So I have a astronomy fashion blog that's called Startorialist, right. which we have discussed on, on Star Talk before. Yes. And w- so. It it it, we catalog. You know, we started with clothing. Like galaxy leggings was the big thing. You're actually wearing a a a,
1: a pendant around your neck that is the um, pop quiz. Oh oh oh! It's wait, which which telescope is it? It's 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 the damn it. Oh, okay. You got to tell me. It's I'm- the Hubble Space Hubble, Telescope. thank you.
0: Yeah, this one is the Hubble Space Telescope. And I telescope. knew it, but
1: I'm, I'm losing yeah. it. Yeah. But yeah, so you have the Hubble Space I Telescope right the Hubble Space
0: Telescope, a 3D-printed necklace uh, made by a company called Chic, And then my shirt is actually a Hubble image of the Orion Nebula printed onto clothing. Sweet. Um, and so these are both uh, found via Startorialist. Um, and, but you know, I don't know if you would call this... Art necessarily, but the fact that people who who make things who create things, even stuff for sale right. that people buy and wear and own is infused with science and I love that. It's just it's it's my it's become my favorite thing. It's my my hobby that's taken over my life, I call it. Um, I just recently came back from a conference where we had a booth for star startorialist at the conference and we started selling things. Which a little bit, like to scientists and I feel like sometimes to artists, like that makes you feel a little bit dirty, like because you should be doing it for, you know, the creativity and the the passion and the, but like people buy things and sell things all the time. And yes. it's the way that people make a living. And so I love that we're like supporting artists and, and designers and makers that make things infused with science. We sell it to scientists who know about it. We've facilitated collaborations, you know we we can explain to the scientists how things are made, we can explain to the artists what they're using, what the image is, what the data is, what the telescope is, all kinds of things like that and it's a it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, synergy of the two fields. And so if you're an artist and you want more, I say reach out, find more. look at the data that's available. there's so much available for free because it's public research funded by NASA, or funded by the NASA Sci- the National Science Foundation, reach out to your local museum or science center or university, there's a lot of collaborations that exist for artists and science. And as a scientist, I've done a couple of them and they're super duper fun. It's just such a rewarding thing. It can be hard because a lot of the times you speak two different languages, it feels like, and you right. have to find, you know, your, the words that you have in common or or redefine things or, you know, find the ways to communicate. I believe but it Google be has so, a science yeah. art
1: translator.
0: <laughs> we should totally make one, yeah, <laughs> if it doesn't exist. It's so rewarding and it's rewarding, I think, for everybody involved, you know, the scientists, the the. The artists and the consumers and the public, and so please, please, please keep doing more of it.
1: All right, where to go, MacDougall Brandon? All right, uh, let's go to James David uh, Cunico. Says this from Facebook: What does an ordinary day look like for <laughs> in the life of an astrophysicist? Mm. And two. What does the term success mean to you? Oh,
0: boy. Wow, these people- The second one sounds like a job interview. Yeah,
1: it really does. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, where do you see yourself in In five five years? years? Yeah.
0: yeah. The first one is easier. The the cool thing about being an astrophysicist is that there almost is no ordinary day, especially for me being an academic- astrophysicist and especially for me being one in New York City because I have so I have a faculty position at CUNY so I'm a professor at CUNY but I also have a research associate position at the American Museum of Natural History and so I can go different places on different days and so you know that determines how early I can sleep in or something like that. But, um, you know, I think this is true for a lot of astronomers who are also academics. Sometimes you teach a class that day and that's your focus. Sometimes you have meetings all day with other professors or with other collaborators or with students Um, Sometimes you focus on mentoring students. Sometimes you travel for conferences. Sometimes you travel to an observatory to get data. Sometimes you actually get to sit down and do research. I think it's – the further along you get in your career – this is also a fairly well-kept secret – is that the the further along you get in your career as a scientist, the less actual hands-on research you do. Right. The more supervising, the more meetings, the more – there's more student mentoring and things like that. But Those other things are also very rewarding too, and I've I've learned as an as a scientist to expand my definition of science to to be able to feel like I'm doing science all the time.
1: Wow! See, uh, as a comedian, uh, it's uh, we wake up at noon and then we have pancakes. (laughs) So uh, yeah, there's your day, you know. And then and then we need a nap because pancakes are tiring. You gotta cut them all up. Oh my god! You know what I mean? They're so
0: heavy. So. We can sleep in until noon if we wanted to. A lot of the time, <laughs> yeah. I love that variety. <laughs> and success is also, but that yeah. I think part of my expanding my definition of science has helped me feel more successful and have to like expanding my definition of science is also expanding my definition of success right. in a way to to because t- doing science like feeling like a scientist is success to me.
1: Wow, see, and you know, and that's the great thing about being a scientist. You guys are, uh, you're significant. Oh,
0: and money. Did I yeah. mention the millions and millions of no, uh, millions? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I wish. Yeah. yeah.
1: So for me, success is uh, being regular. So there you have it. <laughs> there you have it. The bathroom way? Yeah, there you oh, go. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> keeping brand in my life is, you know, I'm fiber, just like, that right, fiber exactly, diet. right. Wow, that one came right on time. <laughs> All right, what a successful you really day. Argue with that. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, this is Luca Well from Instagram. Says, "Hi, I'm Luca Well from Whitefish, Montana." Oh. No, I've never heard of Whitefish, Montana, but Me it's, it sounds, it's up there. Yeah. Is it by
0: Yellow Knife or <laughs> Brown Bear? I'm making those up. <laughs> I've been to Missoula. Missoula, Montana is a very, very fun town.
1: Very cool. All right. So is there such a thing as too many scientists? What? Okay. If many easy jobs, such as serving food, restocking store shelves, or even handyman work is replaced by robots, would those who have done those jobs now go into science careers? And if enough jobs became automated, could the scientific community become more? too large for its own good
0: that's a really good question i think some people feel like it already might be because there's this whole idea that it's difficult for scientists to find jobs is it yes it well it's it's an idea within the scientific community i think for the most part but i think it's actually a little bit misleading because what we we tend to think that it's Difficult for scientists to find like the best jobs, right? And so a lot of scientists, like you're trained as maybe an undergrad or a graduate student, to be like, well, I have to have a faculty position at a research institution, you know, and that's success. This right. goes back to the ne- the previous question, which is really nice. Um,
1: so it's not that you can't get work; it's not it's that you're, yeah, it's you, your you're you're your, your not getting the work that you would ideally want
0: or that you're trained to think is best right. is real, like and not even trained because it's not even necessarily explicit it's sometimes implicit right. but i think as, as a field we're doing better to expand our definition of a science career right and it's, say okay all, all these other things like it's fantastic to have people with phds in right. science teach high school right for example you know teach kindergarten for god's sake like i would love to for it to be okay to get a PhD in chemistry and then go into a second grade classroom, right? Damn right, you're comfortable with math. You can answer a lot of their questions. You can do experiments with the kids. Like, uh, you know, that's a. I don't know anybody that's done that. I know people with PhDs who have gone into teach high school, mm-hmm. um, but I would love. I would love to teach like kindergarten or something like that. <laughs> you, you know. Uh,
1: yeah. I, if if my uh, second grade teacher. Could you was, imagine was it, a PhD yeah. astrophysicist, even as a Think second- Think about
0: your eyes I, opened um, at that point.
1: My eyes were opened up to the fact that uh, you have really wasted a uh, education.
0: <laughs> but no, but you shouldn't <laughs> no, I,
1: no, I'm I, just like, dude, you must be rich, because how? That, <laughs> that's, if, <laughs> that's the real problem. We
0: need teachers to be paid better. Right. Yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. It's
1: like, how are you doing this <laughs> with all that student debt? Yeah.
0: yeah, well, no, grad school is free for a scientist. In general. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's also a well-kept – I don't know if it's a well-kept secret, but when you go to grad school for the sciences, you don't pay tuition and you usually have a job as part of it. You get paid to do research or you get paid to teach.
1: I thought the Trump administration stopped that.
0: Oh, no. That came out of the tax bill. Oh, they They, they actually removed it. Yes. So it was in the tax bill, but it came Somebody – I forget who introduced it, that that the grad student uh, tuition – refunds uh tuition uh, oh, I forget the terminology was going to be taxed and that's money that the students never right, see exactly. it's just money that they right. don't have to pay right. and so in general it's still not cheap because you don't make a lot of money, and so the, really the argument is you're coming out of undergrad with a science degree or in right. maybe an engineering or a math degree, and then instead of making a huge amount of money, you, you make no money to continue on to – very little money to continue on to a PhD. And so you're really delaying being able to pay into retirement and things like that. Um, but in general, afterwards, the job security is very, very good, very flexible – Um, You can there's a lot of different options. And I think as as scientists and in the public, we have to broaden our definition of what scientists are.
1: Yeah. Uh, So basically, it's kind of like really good looking people who say, uh, I, I can't get laid. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, you could. You just, you don't do it. You can't. Oh, get, I thought
0: you were saying all the scientists are no, the good-looking. people. Well, no, no. Like, it's
1: just like when when you say yeah, scientists can't yeah, get the job they high, want. Your you know, are too You know, or you're a jerk. Right. No one will sleep like, with me. It's yeah, like no, mm, plenty people will sleep with you, but not with just that not attitude. the people that you want to yeah, sleep with and you. That. There yeah, you go. Yeah. Right. right. We're gonna which, wrap which up. Which is why Brad Pitt is, you know,
0: so prolific.
1: Yeah, and and won't sleep with me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna take a break and after this message we'll be back to take more cosmic queries i'm emily rice here in the studio with chuck nice for star talk all stars we're back with star talk all stars taking your cosmic queries i'm emily rice and i'm here with chuck nice
1: that's right all right let's uh, get back into our stellar story do grab (laughs) bag of cosmic galactic grab bag the galactic grab bag that's
0: cosmic clusters i like the
1: galactic that sounds dirty
0: (laughs) sounds like a cereal yeah
1: oh that actually does cosmic 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 clusters clusters. that's right Mm, nobody gets their hands on me cosmic clusters (laughs) (laughs) blue moons okay um here we go. This is uh, The Life of D-Ray, who says, uh, people always worry about what if an asteroid hits Earth? I'd like to know, what if an asteroid hits the moon? Oh. What does that mean for the Earth? Is there the same contingency plan for an asteroid hitting the moon? So yeah. I, I I think he would, it would have to be like, it, uh, an asteroid like Apophis.
0: Oh, big. Like It would have okay. to be like
1: significant because otherwise, every little pock mark you see on the moon is something that hit it.
0: Yeah, that's the great. So the, the good news is is that if we're talking about the little things, you can sleep at night really easily. Asteroids, little things hit the moon all the time. Right. And in fact, sometimes during... Meteor showers. So, meteor showers happen when the Earth plows through comet dust, oh. basically. And so, depending on how big that cloud of comet dust is, the moon could also plow through it, too. Oh. And so, maybe even the moon is closer to it. So, I know that during meteor showers, amateur astronomers have set up like video cameras watching the moon, and you can see little impacts of, you know, even relatively big things. That's cool. On the moon. Yeah. And the, the but really, what causes the damage of asteroid impacts on the Earth is not the asteroid hitting the ground, but the asteroid coming through the atmosphere.
1: So the first impact is actually our atmosphere.
0: Yeah. The impact of the atmosphere. And it's actually the the asteroid like pushing that atmosphere forward that makes the sonic boom. That creates a lot of energy and transfers energy from slowing down the asteroid to through the atmosphere. It's like mm-hmm. that's if you think about the Tellubinks. Uh, in in asteroid, yeah, in Russia, that happened several years ago. That was the beginning of my media career, oddly enough. <laughs> um, that, that the 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 injuries that happened were not from the rocks falling down to the ground. It was from the the sonic boom, the glass shattering, right. um, you know, things being pushed by that blast wave, essentially. So it's an it's a result of not the rock hitting the ground, but the The pressure of the the energy of the the rock falling through the Earth's atmosphere pushing the Earth's atmosphere. the moon doesn't have an atmosphere right and so there's going to be an impact crater that'll be you know bigger than the asteroid is by a factor of I think a hundred um, but there isn't going to be that blast wave that can be very very destructive.
1: Oh cool and so as
0: long as it's not a huge thing, but the huge things we know about the little things we don't know about so. right
1: so what if a uh, if a really huge asteroid? Uh, collided with the moon that was big enough to break a piece of the moon off.
0: We would know about it a oh, long time. A long time, time before. Advance. Okay. Yeah. All right. yeah. Um, and then we just send Bruce
1: Willis. There you yeah. go. Which is the answer to every major yeah. problem. Check
0: that one off There you go. It's just
1: like <laughs> Bruce. Hello, Bruce. Yes. Can you please <laughs> come save the world again? <laughs> 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 All right. Here we go. Uh this is Jack Garrison, uh, wants to know this. Hello from Michigan. Michigan. That's Michigan. right. How do we tackle the problem of science being regarded as uncool or <gasps> even looked down upon in <gasps> some cases? Who thinks science how is uncool? Could we,
0: yeah, how could science be uncool? Yeah. We're awesome, cool, hip nerds. <laughs> I love it that being a nerd, I will have a uh, make a personal confession is that I did not identify as a nerd for a long time. I was like the smart kid that thought they could be cool. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was that, like I know I'm not mean. popular, but I'm not unpopular. Right. I was unpopular.
1: Yeah. yeah, for a long time I thought I was Asian. I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> that, that made no sense at all. No, not but really. for some reason it was funny. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but you know what's what what is cool is that
0: embracing your nerves. Exactly. Now is cool. And you
1: find this community of Uh, nerds who, all I can say is when you're around them and you see their interaction, they are very cool.
0: What are you talking about they, Chuck? (laughs) <laughs> I think we need to use the the first person inclusive plural here. Oh my god! Don't try to me,
1: get out of this. Oh my god, that reminds me of uh, the old uh, uh, Long Ranger and yeah, Town joke. What do you mean we? But that's the great thing right. is that yeah. yeah,
0: we're like we're kind of the the geeks shall inherit the earth for yeah. a little bit. I don't think science is uncool anymore. Nah, and you go right? to, and you, you've, you've got a Ravens player who he quit. He quit the NFL in order to finish his math degree. We
1: had him on the show playing yeah. with science, which is a uh, uh, Star Talk uh, spinoff. Playing with science and uh, plug, yeah, um, uh, yeah. Um, oh God, yeah, I forget. Yeah, we his don't name, have this name. dichotomy
0: anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah. But
1: he he left the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, uh, to pursue his theor- theoretical mathematician uh, pursuits. In, yeah, in, in, I think in, he's at, in a PhD at MIT. Pro- is it at MIT? I'm now? pretty sure okay. he's at MIT now. Um, yeah. John Urschel is his name. John yeah. Urschel. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, we had like, him on that the. That is and he's, so awesome. Yeah, he's a. And you, you,
0: you know, there's some like some musicians and stuff like that. Brian Cox was in a band before right. he became the, you know, the 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 Neil Tyson of the UK, right? Sometimes, or Neil Tyson is the Brian Cox of the UK, depending on which one you know. Um, it's a there's a there's a nice synergy between the two now.
1: Yeah, and the and the cool thing about it is that um you you. You used to have to be in the closet. Like I always tried to uh, pretend that I wasn't a nerd. Yeah. And, and then nerds would say one thing. You know what I mean? Like we had a question on one show about a TARDIS, right? Yeah. And now if somebody says that to you and you're just like, oh, my God. I mean- uh, yeah, let me tell you that. Okay, yeah. here's what I would do with it. Tar- like you know, that person's a total geek, yeah. right? You know yeah. what I mean. So that's I used to betray myself all the time.
0: And now we can bond about it and not have to hide it and yeah. act like we need to like hide that stuff to be cool. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. And I think that's yeah. I think that's a good thing for society. All right, very I cool. Personally
0: enjoy it and yeah. profit from it now. Yeah, so here's the
1: thing come out of the closet, you nerds. <laughs> yeah. All right, geeks and nerds, come out of the closet. We it's are okay. here
0: to welcome you. That's
1: right. So, uh, this is the hippie chemist. <laughs>
0: yeah. Ooh, not talk about a nice yeah. potential dichotomy, but not. Yeah. yeah, the
1: hippie chemist says, I'm a chemistry major with a biology minor. Nice. But I want to do science outside of the classroom. I'm especially interested in ways to go about helping to preserve the environment. Ooh. Any suggestions?
0: Yeah. yeah do is... your
1: homework on a park bench. <laughs> Pick you. up your trash though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, this is a lot. So ecology seems to me of the, the field of helping the environment. Um, this is a little bit outside my area of expertise. But at the same time, I, I try to have friends who are different types of scientists. That's also a Simpsons quote. We've got a we. It's the very diverse uh, crew that they have going to the International Space Station. Uh, a mathematician, an engineer, and a different type of engineer, so a different type of mathematician—I forget which one it is. Um, but there's a lot of oh, one of the, one of my favorite um, uh, friend of mine that I follow on Instagram who just wrote a book is like a bee ecologist, what, oh, and they have a book of, of pictures of oh, bees, for like, like drawings bees. of bees. Yeah, like, like, the, like little the little insects bzz, bzz, yeah. buzzing around. The bees, bees are very important for the environment and for food and for plants. Yeah, um, you know there was worry that the bees were dying off and. And now I think that worry has subsided a little bit, but there's all kinds of these pockets of of things that are very important for people and for the environment that, you know, you can, you can approach through biology, you can approach through chemistry. Another one of my colleagues is at Hunter College, um, Mandy Holford, and she is a biochemist, but her research is – and her research is on cone snails, which are marine animals um, that have – Secretions, I think poisons, even that could potentially be medicine, nice. you, like pain relief right, and always, things like. that. Yeah. so she does like the biochemistry of of these the, of the secretions from these particular animals. Not and to so be she confused has with
1: Conan snails, which are snails that have a tuft <laughs> of Tall red and hair, and right? And yeah, pale. <laughs> gangly yeah. snails with who are ginger.
0: <laughs> we love you, Conan. <laughs> Has Conan uh, been on the show yet? No,
1: I don't think we've had Conan yep. on. You, know, but, you know. <laughs> we know,
0: we can't say. We can't say. But it's a it's a beauty. You know, she has these creatures that she and she goes on on lab field trips to collect the creatures, and then she also does research on them. And there's secretions in the lab, and so I think if you you know you definitely you will get outside of the classroom with science, and the earlier the better. But you also want to think about what kind of job do you want to have? Do you right. want to be in a lab? Do you want to do field work? Right. Do you want to do teaching? Do you want to do outreach? And there's different fields of research and different jobs and careers that can combine different aspects of those. Yeah. Science is very diverse. Yeah, in like, terms of jobs, absolutely which is nice. Uh, be an you archaeologist. To be, you're, yeah, you're all archaeologist.
1: Out to Hard on the back though
0: (laughs) I can't do the whip (laughs)
1: exactly all right very cool let's go to scifit 42 who says how can we get other adults to become more interested in science and become more science literate. Mm. We need more people of voting age to become science literate. That's funny. I Uh, absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody talks about the children. Yes. But the adults
0: raise the children. The adults vote. The adults pay taxes. The adults teach the children. That's one of my, I don't know who planted this question for me, but that's one of the goals behind my, um, another project that I have that's called astronomy on tap. Oh really? Yeah. Cause the on tap means at a bar. Nice. Yeah, and so we bring scientists to bars and they talk about research. They talk about astronomy, they talk about astrophysics, they talk about cutting edge stuff, they talk about basic stuff, they talk about new stuff, they talk about old stuff. It's fantastic. And for the adults, you know, you know, sometimes I don't want to watch a documentary. I don't want to go to a lecture or anything like that. I don't even read books anymore. I have to admit it. But I like to go to the bar with my friends when I have the chance. Mm-hmm. And so we take the scientists to the bar. In order to be entertainment there, and so it's kind of you know I, I like to think of it more of like a, as a stand up set showcase or something like that than than a than a science presentation. Um, and then when it, it also breaks down the barrier, I think a lot of the reason that a, the, sometimes people have uh, adults especially have problems with science because they feel like they don't get science. Yeah. they feel like they're not good at it or, or something. They feel like they're not smart. And I hate the I'm saying those words with a weird look on my face because I really don't like those words. I think that people and people want to feel smart they don't like feeling dumb right and so part of the thing with astronomy on tap is like in conveying information as a story and bringing people um, along for the ride, kind of making people feel smart in a fun, interactive, socially engaging environment instead of making them feel dumb.
1: And and guess what? Nobody feels dumb when you're drunk.
0: <laughs> you're, the smartest, you're the smartest, most smartest beautiful person in the world when you're, you're drunk. Go. Absolutely. That's it. It like, helps. It definitely helps. I'm so pretty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, here we go. One uh, last question. One last question. This is... Uh, uh, m- Mariah Eclipse, oh. so, what a cool name! Mariah yeah. Eclipse. Uh, do astrophysicists uh, make good money? I would like an honest answer, please. Yeah. So that's a personal question. Yeah. So Emily, uh, can we? Can you please give us? Uh, your last year's W-2s. Yeah. yeah. Or, or a recent pay stub. Yeah. Uh, that'd be great.
0: The answer is like, yes. Like, do, you know, not everybody, there are struggles that are unfortunate, like people having to move a lot for their careers uh-huh. in astrophysics or, like you know, there's certain weird quirks of the field where you might not qualify for health insurance or a retirement plan at certain stages of your career. And so there are definitely downsides. Um, but the the plus side is is that yeah it's a decent it's a decent job yeah um, it d- it does pay well like you know I grew up with not a huge amount of money and so it, it was nice to to know that I would always have this fairly well paying job um, and and I think most of science is that way. You know, not everybody's going to be the rock star. Not everybody's going to be the MVP on the team that goes way over the salary cap or something like that. But most people are not going to have to work a second job. You know, unlike a a public school teacher or something like that. Most people are going to be fairly well taken care of as a scientist, fairly well compensated as a scientist. Let's say, eventually, it kind of sometimes it can take a while because you do have to go to grad school for a lot longer, um, and it does vary. You know, across disciplines, across institutions, types of institutions, types of jobs. But in general, for the most part, I do not feel guilty encouraging kids to go into science.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. And it it, it does depend on uh, the discipline. Cause yeah. I forget, like, to be a veterinarian, you have to go to school for, like, 36 years or something yeah. like that. I don't know what it is, you know. And, which is why uh, they always try to, uh, you know, coerce you into uh, getting a kidney transplant for your cat. <laughs> I'm like really seriously, I didn't do that for my grandmother. You're testing yeah, her medicine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like my grandmother's dead now because they were like she needs a kidney, and I was like, well, good luck, grandma. Oh. You know? <laughs> and Scientist- you want me to? You want me to do that for my cat? <laughs> Actually, that's a true story. I, I, yeah, I, I, I had a cat who I loved so dearly. Like I couldn't believe that I loved this animal yeah. like so deeply, and that I was so attached. And the, and the
0: you're like, how many zeros? Yeah,
1: the cat was in renal failure, and uh, and, and the and the uh, the vet actually said to me with a straight face, "Well, one of the things that we could possibly do is a transplant." And and as much
0: How do they get donor kidneys? I don't like that. As there's mu- there's no, consent here. Exact. There's issues. Oh no, 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 I'm
1: sorry. He said you can put put her on a uh, kitty dialysis. Kitty dialysis, not okay. Transplant. Not a transplant. okay kitty dialysis. This is what he Although said. Even- and I I honestly looked at him and I was like, you're shitting me, right? There's like animal, <laughs> animal antidepressants, yeah, and pet
0: antidepressants, exactly. and Xanax and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah,
1: so, man, I don't know how I got off on this tangent.
0: But <laughs> Scientists are decently well compensated, exactly. And yeah. Chuck
1: clearly still misses his cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh so He's, sad. the
0: cat is in kitty heaven.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Thanks for joining us on another episode of Star Talk All Stars. Aw, Chuck. R.I.P. Can't stop picking a now. Oh God, Murphy, I miss you so much. Oh, okay.
1: All right, I'm over it.
0: <laughs> Thanks for being here with us for Star Talk All Stars. I'm Emily Rice here with Chuck Nice. That's right. We very much enjoyed answering your cosmic queries. Keep asking questions.